It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. The pandemic has hit some harder than others, and Nora Meissner is feeling like she is losing her identity through this crisis. But I hope that as she listens to her story again, that she sees all the beautiful quilts she has been able to make during this time and all the wonderful things that she has done. And most of all, how the Lord is using her even in this difficult time. Nora, thank you so much for being on A Quilter's Life. I am so excited to talk to you today. Thank you for inviting me. Well, let's start. Where were you born and raised? My mom will tell you I was born in a log cabin. Actually, I was born in a hospital in Seattle, but I spent the first two years of my life living in a log cabin. We live 20 miles north of Seattle, and I live on 10 acres, and I still currently live there, although I live in a 3,000-square-foot rambler now. Well, to grow up on 10 acres... How fun was that? It is so amazing. We got to spend our days boating and fishing and just swimming and running around. And at night, we'd all play football until dark. Back then, it was a really small neighborhood. So with maybe five families and all the kids involved. So we're actually located about five miles from Boeing Everett, where they make the 747s, which is the largest building in the world. Really? Yeah. And so it's fun to watch the airplanes fly over. You know, the new people complain a lot about airplane noise, but I do still hear the noise, but I'm like, it's not supersonic anymore. So, you know, (laughs) fall off the wall. And it's so cool to watch the airplanes fly. Oh, neat. Can you tell me about your employment? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Since 1978, I've worked as a tax accountant. Mm -hmm. My degree is actually in early childhood special education, but that was a pretty strenuous job. Being a tax accountant, gave me the freedom to set my own hours, which was good. I worked for beneficial income tax. I was in charge of all the offices in Western Washington and Alaska until 1985 when they decided not to do taxes anymore. Hmm. And then I bought the customers and spent the next 20 years taking care of them. And I still do some taxes today, but not like the thousand that I did in the past. Wow. (laughs) I had no clue it would be that many. That's a lot. It is a lot. I actually got to speak at a IRS conference one year, which was kind of like exciting. Yeah. You know, it doesn't feel like I ever did anything, but looking back, I did some pretty cool stuff. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
Isn't that fun? It is. So the advantage of being self-employed gave me time to take care of my parents, who both unfortunately ended up disabled. My dad died in 1997, but my mom, who is 92, still lives with me. So we're still taking care of her. And I have two of my grandchildren who are an immense help for that. They come over here while their moms are at work and they do whatever grandma needs, which is good. And then my sisters help out. Yeah. How neat for those grandchildren. They may not realize it, but to be able to help with their uh, great-grandmother, that is really cool. And I love the fact that Sometimes I won't even hear her call and they'll be up going to see what it is she needs. Because, you know, if you ask them, you know, will you go do whatever, they're going to go, yeah, in a minute when this video is over, (laughs) whatever. But if it's grandma, they like get right up and get right to it, which is a wonderful thing. Wow, that is nice. Well, my next question is usually, where are you now and how did you get there from here? But You're at the same place. I am. So my first husband was killed in Vietnam. So I bought my first house when I was 20. And people kept saying, you can't buy a house. You're a girl. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, I'm buying a house. And when I bought the house, my mom was working for a stockbroker. They all looked at her and said, she can't buy a house. And then we went and signed on the house. And my mom's like, she bought a house. They're like, that can't be true. (laughs) (laughs) So it was a pretty amazing thing. So that was in 1970. And once you bought a house, I discovered that you could buy anything else in the whole world that you want. Because you owned a house, they were willing to let you buy cars or have credit cards or whatever. Wow. So that really opened up doors for you. Right. So that house was only three miles away from my parents, and it was actually just a block away from my sister's husband's house, which they ended up buying. So it was still in the neighborhood. And then 20 years later, the house I was living in needed work. So I swapped houses with my brother who had built a house, but I was still only half a mile away from home. So I have never moved away. (laughs) And most of us are still in the area. I have five brothers and sisters. Okay. So they're gradually retiring farther away. Mm -hmm. I have four kids and they all live right here. My one daughter lives with my granddaughter, and they're only four minutes away, which is handy when grandma falls and needs somebody to come pick her up. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Also, they do, you know, for the pandemic, they've been doing my shopping and stuff like that. So, What a blessing. Exactly. Besides quilting, what other crafts do you do or have you done? Well, I knit, not so much lately. My hands aren't enjoying it in my old age. Mm. I have done probably all the crafts out there. (laughs) I worked with Campfire and 
Girl Scouts for I still do campfire stuff now, but since the time I was 20. And so that involves a lot of crafts. And one of my favorite is tie-dye. And with Girl Scouts, I was director of a day camp for a couple of years, and it was a primitive day camp. So it was in the woods. You had to clear out your own wooded space. Hmm. The National Guard brought in water. You don't even think about that you need a whole entire truck of water for, you know, 200 kids, right? <laughs> so the National Guard brought in water. We did things like tie-dyed our camp shirts, but we boiled the dye and stuff over the fire. And back then you used writ dye. Uh-huh. Currently, you know, you can run down to Joanne's and they sell little bottles of tie-dye paint. So you can just buy a little kit to do your thing. You don't have to cook it over fire. You can do it in your own, hopefully on the deck. But I think we have tie-dye inside the house too, because I'm one of those moms. <laughs> of course you can tie-dye in the house. <laughs> <laughs> and so do you have spots on your floor for memories? I do. But you know what? Don't care. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It's like, whatever. Well, and it's my house. I live here mm -hmm. by myself, you know, more or less, with my mom. Mm -hmm. Kids drop by. You want to, you know, make cookies or paint something, go for it. Have fun. Your grandkids don't know how blessed they are. Are there any other hobbies you wanted to talk about? Once again, back in the 70s, I used to sew everybody's clothes, my sisters and my older kids. I did a lot of sewing. I flunked home ec <laughs> because everybody else in home ec had moms who could sew mm -hmm. or a grandma or a something. You know, I had no starting point. So home ec was really hard. Yeah. Although one President's Day back when they had actual sales on President's Day, my brothers and I talked my mom into buying us a sewing machine so they could taper their pants because back then, you know, you wore your pants really tight. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so then they learned how to use a sewing machine and then they taught me. And so my mom and my grandma, I could buy whatever fabric I wanted, however much fabric I wanted. So they're responsible for this <laughs> fabric. <laughs> so your stash goes back a long way, huh? It does. And I still have fabric from the 60s and 70s. Wow. I know. <laughs> so. so who introduced you to quilting? So my sister... Her husband, Bob, his parents owned a button store in downtown Seattle. Shamik's Buttons. We don't have button stores now. No. But this was a store that sold buttons, right? And so he was working for them being the, the outside rep. So he would go to, I guess, factories, whatever. And then he would bring me home. See, everybody contributes to my <laughs> bad habits. He would bring home fabric 
from the stores. You know, the leftover when you're making clothes and then you've got all those leftover funky pieces. He would bring home all the leftover funky pieces for me to play with. And so one of the funky pieces he brought home was probably four by four scraps of polyester. Mm-hmm. I don't know how we knew how to do this, but my sister and I actually turned those into a quilt top, which was on my mom's bed for a really long time. So we just quilted, I, you know, and we tied it, of course, uh-huh. um, because that's kind of what you did back in the, this would have been 1970, 1971, because that's what you did back then. So you tied stuff. I still tie a lot of my stuff today. Mm-hmm. So my 13-year-old grandson has been sewing since he was in kindergarten. And he made a Seahawks quilt, which we just finally got finished because he doesn't always have a lot of time. Right. So it takes a long time for his projects to get done. But he's done five or six good-sized quilts. So. Last week, he and my oldest granddaughter and I went to the APQS store in Issaquah, and they both got to quilt a quilt. We have used long arms, you know, at the fair or the quilt show. I've never seen it loaded. You know, I've never seen the whole process from the beginning. Okay. So the two of them each did a quilt from the beginning. and. They did amazing jobs. So, yeah. So I forgot whatever my question was. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did take a look at your Facebook page and I saw a picture of your grandson, but did you have a picture of your granddaughter at the long arm? So she did the Halloween quilt. So I had actually sewn together the Halloween quilt. So that had been one of my projects. Mm-hmm. She makes amazing beautiful quilts. She started sewing when she was four. When she was five, she went to a kid's birthday party and gave him a quilt. And the mom was like, she said she made this. We're like, yeah, she made this. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But she had a tendency to keeping in mind that you're four or five, right? Right. She would find a piece of fabric and then she would cut a piece out of the middle of it you know oh no isn't that what we all want you know a nice piece of fabric with a hole in the middle and she would fortunately we had a press board coffee table that was just left over from something and she would grab the rotary cutter and want to cut on the press board (laughs) (laughs) number one four-year-olds should not be using the rotary cutter (laughs) number two you have to put a mat under the (laughs) Under the fabric. So, yeah. But she has since made some really pretty quilts. So, if you look at, she did the one, there's a green and off-white pinwheel quilt on my page. She did that one. So, I should probably talk about my quilt group. So, I belong to a charity quilt group at church, which began in the 50s. And 
I accidentally became in charge of it. Um, I like that. Accidentally. I didn't mean it on it. <laughs> so, so it's a quite elderly group because they meet in the daytime and even the old people work these days. Mm-hmm. So we make the tops outside of group and then we assemble them. And so they are all tied but we make about 250 of them a year. Wow. All of our stuff is donations. And I have somebody who donates the batting, which is a good thing. Mm -hmm. So when I took over, I have a person I did not know then who is now a good friend who I see she does all the work and I get the credit. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) She keeps us really organized. So we get donations and we get a lot of donations because when somebody dies, their family will, you know, just bring us their sewing room. We had somebody who's a major quilter who's working on trying to retire and move. And she brought us a whole entire truckload of stuff. Oh, wow. I know. But let me tell you, so Elaine, who keeps me organized, she had that truckload of stuff separated and ready to go. And put away in probably a half hour. No way. I know it's crazy, right? So when we get donations, it's like two of my kids and my granddaughter are teachers. So it'll be like this stuff they can use. Then somebody belongs to the extension group, which does a fabric sale every year. So, you know, here's the polyester and the silk and the whatever we don't want to use. Stripes. I don't like stripes and plaids. <laughs> I don't want to cut them. So we'll send all of those home with her. It's like really quickly we can, you know, get everything where it belongs. So the Halloween quilt was a kit. So one day earlier this year, so probably in January, somebody gave us a donation, which was like a thousand dollars worth of kits that they had never put together. Wow. It was like, we're just looking at this. (laughs) And so I took a couple and we do a quilt retreat every year in February. So I took the Halloween one, looked like something I could actually accomplish on my own. And I did that one at retreat and it worked really well and it came out really cute. The problem with that one was the picture on the package was not for the quilt that was inside so you couldn't tell where the colors went Mm. so there's that but that came out really nice so my granddaughter quilted that the other day on the long arm and she had been dying since she was like seven she started wanting a long arm Mm -hmm. so you know it's like (laughs) so the apqs store did not require us to take classes ahead of time for many of the people who want you to use their long arm there's like a hundred dollar two hundred dollar class before they'll let you touch it yeah this one just had an hourly fee and we have done row by row we've been to that store every year and she loves my grandson who's 13 uh so it was like she kept going he can come quilt his row by row quilt for free you know we just never have time. 
So we actually got this scheduled in and we went and did it. And so that was good. My brain tells me I haven't done enough quilting during this stay at home thing. <laughs> it turns out we have done five t-shirt quilts and some other minor projects for random strangers. <laughs> and I haven't ever sewn for random strangers before. <laughs> <laughs> But somebody thought I should. So uh, <laughs> I think the t-shirt quilts came out quite nice. So that was good. So we did that. So I have been quilting during the pandemic. We kind of tag team quilt. How neat to be able to share that with your family instead of it just right. all be on you. I typically give her all the credit <laughs> when we do projects. And I gave her all the money. So. <laughs> so, yeah. So my favorite quilt that I have ever done is once in the dark ages, in the 70s, I was married to an artist musician, which was also a very interesting time of life. So it's 1976, and the newspaper was doing a bicentennial quilt. He freehand liquid embroidered, because it was designed to be embroidered, he liquid embroidered freehand all of the squares. Huh. And I put it together. I have never put the back to the front because it's way too big to have lying around. Oh, I should say one of my hobbies is books. I have about 10,000 books. Uh, and one of the things is when you have books, you do not have walls. So if I turned the bicentennial quilt into an actual quilt, where would I put it? I wouldn't want to use it on the bed, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the projects that I will leave around, you know, where you're supposed to take a project and put somebody's name on it and leave it for them to deal with. <laughs> so I have hidden money inside my books so that the kids have to at least touch them before they throw them away. Right. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm kind of mean like that, but yeah, so. I'm thinking... Am I going to need to edit that out? Because oh, <laughs> I don't well, want people coming to your home looking for money in your books. <laughs> no, I don't think you have to edit that out. You can leave it in or out, whatever you want to do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I did not say that one of the other things that I do, I have always cooked. I started cooking when I was eight. My mother does not cook. She does not sew. She has six kids. <laughs> <laughs> and she currently has two grandkids as full-time caretakers. So I have always cooked. One year, back when I was married to the artist-musician, we ate different food every single night for the whole entire year. We never ate the same thing twice. How can you do that? Well, when you own 10,000 books, probably a thousand of them are cookbooks, <laughs> right? So we did. And my kids still talk about it because 
It was such an amazing thing. So anyhow, as my granddaughter was turning 18 and getting ready to graduate from high school, and we were debating if we wanted to stay at that church, which it had high school activities, but it didn't really have anything for college people. Mm-hmm. We were debating if we wanted to stay there or find another church, which in my mind is an extremely hard job. Mm-hmm. So one day in the bulletin, it was like, we need somebody to cook for this weekly activity they were going to have. And Bronwyn was like, we can do that. So we started cooking. We were cooking for like 100 people. Mm-hmm. For 20 years, I had cooked a fundraiser's spaghetti dinner for 300 people. We have cooked groups up to 600. We did a memorial service one time for 600 people. Wow. So we cook, but we cook for big groups. And my granddaughter is also an excellent cook. She has managed to also be much better at cooking than I am. I think she puts more love into everything. (laughs) So, you know, she's nicer to the food. So we have done that. So one of the things I have discovered during the last six months is I feel like I'm losing who I am. I don't feel like I came into my own until I turned 60 Hmm. when we started cooking for the church. And then, you know, I started being in charge of the sewing group. Yeah. I'm feeling like I'm losing my identity because, of course, we can't quilt as a group. So we have maybe 100 quilt tops waiting to be assembled. And the sad part of it is they should be going to the women's domestic violence shelter Mm -hmm. because that's one of the main places that we can send quilts. Currently, the domestic violence center is quite popular. And so I feel really bad because we cannot get them quilts. And these quilts, they actually get to keep. And so one of the comments that I heard from one of the volunteers was, this lady was like so excited because the quilt was at that point, the only thing she owned that was her own. Yeah. This is so sad that that's the only thing you have when we have so much. I feel so bad right now that we cannot assemble our quilts. And I'm not sure we'll ever be able to meet again as a group because we are older and the church is trying to be cautious of everyone. So I'm not sure how this is going to play out in the long run. So I feel bad about that. I feel bad about one of the other things we do that everybody loves is we make quilts for the Children's Burn Foundation summer camp where burn children come from all over the country so that they can spend a week with other burnt children so they can know there's more people like them out there. One of the problems for charities, which I feel bad about right now, is none of them can have their annual fundraisers because everybody does their fundraisers in March and April and all of those were canceled. Yeah. And then all of the camps were canceled. So the foundation, 
I'm not sure even if they could have had camp, if they could have managed to pull together enough money yeah. to do that. So we do about 60 quilts for them every year. And they use them as blankets and stuff for when they're outside around the campfire or whatever. They use them to keep them warm. Mm-hmm. So I feel bad about that. So the whole pandemic has just made all my volunteer work sad, make my quilting group sad, just kind of everything. You know, some of the kids' activities. When we went into lockdown, my sister and I keep, she acts as my grandson's other grandmother. Mm-hmm. We keep a online calendar for his activities. And he had actually had every single weekend, starting from March 15th, say, until after September, he had something for every single weekend. And then he had, I think, four different camps scheduled based on like activities that he had done. I coach Bible quizzing and those two grandchildren have both done Bible quizzing in June. It's a national thing. So in June, you're supposed to be flying off, you know, somewhere on the East Coast to have a competition. And that, of course, got canceled. So it means you work for Bible quizzing. They memorize whole entire books of the Bible. Wow. So they do about 200 verses. Mm -hmm. It's an incredible thing. And then they answer weird random questions. And some days your mind just goes, how did they even know that? (laughs) (laughs) And I have been coaching this for probably 30 years, you know. But yeah, it's always amazing. So the pandemic has caused all of a sudden, none of your activities are valid anymore. That's tough. I know. The advantage to that was he did get his Seahawks quilt done. And (laughs) we did get to go to the long armor. (laughs) (laughs) I had her do the binding because I did not want to. So Mm -hmm. we actually get to go pick it up from the long armors tomorrow. Oh, cool. So that's our excitement. That's a day that we have. We have a caregiver on Tuesdays. So we try to plan something for Tuesdays so we can get some things done. Yeah. When you're working on your quilts, do you have a favorite tool? My favorite thing is, so back in... I would say the late 80s, 1990, Eleanor Burns started using that slotted ruler. Okay. The day it became available at Joanne's, my mom went and bought it for me. So my favorite tool is my slotted ruler and my rotary cutter. For rulers, I mostly use that, and then I use the 12-inch square with a cutout in the middle that I use for t-shirt quilts. And I own thousands of other rulers. I just just really like the slotted one, you know. Do you have a favorite part of the quilting process? You know, I really enjoy the cutting. Mm -hmm. So we do a project at Campfire where we make quilts and I have always pre-cut the squares for that. So I pre-cut eight inch squares and it requires about 4,000. 
you don't think about how many squares there are on things. So when we were finishing up the Seahawks quilt, my daughter came over to pick up Brandon and she's like, you guys aren't working hard enough. What have you been doing, right? Well, because she only makes lap quilts that are eight inch squares sewn together in rows and that's it, right? Well, so each of the pieces of the Seahawk quilt had as many pieces as a whole entire lap quilt did. And so after she spent half an hour here trying to egg us on, she's like, oh, I guess it does take that long, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, we also, for the church charity group, we started making pre-assembled kits. We used to just cut the squares, but there were people who had problems with that. So we have somebody who lays out the squares, then pins them into rows. So you can do a quilt top in two or three hours. Yeah. So a lot of people do them, you know, in between, like they'll do their project and then they'll do a quilt top. And I kept most of the squares for that. So I do a lot of square cutting and I do it from the fabric that people donate. I also do it from my own stash. My own stash never gets smaller. (laughs) And Brandon was online looking at fabric the other day. I'm like, wait, what are you doing? Well, I saw fabric I want. I'm like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Because he decided his next quilt is going to be sports themed. Not like Seahawks aren't a sport, right? (laughs) Um, But so the next one is going to be all the sports together. We've only had time to go to four stores to do the Quilters Trek. I don't know if you know what that is. It's generally a summer thing where you go to all the different quilt stores and they have patterns or they have kits Mm -hmm. and I buy the kits. In the years past, we have done the Row by Row Junior. Brandon has managed to complete those. I have yet to complete a whole entire row. (laughs) (laughs) However, this year, we so far managed to get to four stores. And I have actually managed to complete three of the four rows. Cool. So that's what I'm doing right now. We're trying to find a couple of the last Tuesdays. For some reason, it would just be rainy. And I didn't want to do like a 100-mile drive in the rain. It's like that kind of takes away from the fun of it. Because to go to the other stores I want to go to that are within a day's drive, It requires going north to within minutes of Canada and then coming back down and doing a ferry ride. So if you're going to do a ferry ride, you want it to be sunshiny. Yeah. So I think we're down to, we maybe only have a couple more weeks before school starts that we can do that job. So how many rows do you need? Well, so this year for a prize, You needed to visit eight different shops. I, of course, don't care about prizes. Mm. (laughs) So, so yeah. But I was trying to do eight shops just because that would make a nice size quilt. Yeah. The advantage to this year's quilts are, in previous years, they had been mostly all applique. And this year's quilt is more 
straight sewing, which I enjoy. Yeah. Because the applique is a time-consuming process mm -hmm. because, you know, you have to cut out each piece and interface it or heat and bond it or, you know, whatever. And, <laughs> and so I have a couple of rows I started, but never, you know, something would happen. It would like turn into a holiday and the cleaning fairies would come and clean off the dining table. You know? <laughs> so I have housekeeping fairies, which is a very good thing, except when they come to clean off the dining room table and move everything that you had taken two or three months to get into the proper place. <laughs> Can you describe your worst quilting experience? Do you know what? I thought about this. I don't think I have really had a bad quilting experience. I guess the worst thing I have done is I didn't realize on one quilt that I had made that one side of the border was opposite from the other side. I didn't know that until after I had, you know, given the quilt. It was a charity quilt for a kid who had cancer. In Seattle, there's a fundraiser where they run up the steps of the Columbia building, which is a really tall building. And so they raise money that way. And so I had all his t-shirts for that. And it turned out when I looked at it, I had put one of the borders backwards, but I didn't know until much later hmm. when I, you know, saw a picture. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, most of my quilting is simple stuff. Yeah. So, and I suppose if I had a really bad something, I would, I would take it apart. Yeah. I do have a square I did last week where I discovered one of the star points is backwards and I thought about it and I decided to just leave it. Yeah. <laughs> I did yeah. hear that before you start ripping out, you should look at it and say, can I live with this? Right. And then there's also the your quilt's not supposed to be perfect because only God is perfect. I'm like, I guess I'll just leave that there. So. Yeah. <laughs> now, my next question is, why do you make quilts? So what what is it that makes you want to make quilts instead of doing something else? Hmm. That's an excellent question. Um. <laughs> Well, so I come from a very service-oriented family. We have always done a lot of volunteer work. We've done volunteer work for school, for church, for, you know, campfire and Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts. We just were raised to do volunteer work. And I know a lot of people don't understand that. I've had people say, why are you doing that? Well, somebody has to, <laughs> right? So probably I would only be doing, you know, one quilt occasionally if it wasn't for the church quilt group, which keeps me occupied. Mm -hmm. Anyhow, the advantage to being in a quilt group, whether it's the church group or whether it's our fun group, we have a lot of camaraderie. 
so when we're at church, it's like a Mad Hatter's tea party because you'll be sitting at a table and you'll be tying a quilt and then you'll be pinning it and then you'll finish and you'll probably move on to help someone else. So by the end of the day, you've talked to 10 different people. When we go to our fun group, we say that we quilt by committee, which means you bring your project and you lay it out and someone will go, that's not quite right. Or they'll go, I have a better piece of fabric that you can have that'll go on that piece. Or someone won't know how to do something and someone else will say, well, this is how you do it. So the interaction of those groups are really what I'm enjoying. Yeah. And which is one of the reasons why it feels so isolated right now, because I sit in the dining room by myself sewing and no, you don't get interaction or you don't have somebody saying that is so cute, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is, you know, which validates you. Right. But volunteer work and my mother used to say, if it was up to you, you'd just do 40 hours of volunteer work a week, which is true. My niece was doing volunteer work and my daughter was actually doing a paid job at a nonprofit. And they both got headhunted out into better jobs. So volunteering can get you to other places. One of my older grandson's scholarships was for volunteer work that he had done. Mm-hmm. Right now, Brandon does media at his church, which means when they're doing the filming, he's either filming or doing sound or whatever, which is a whole entire job skill. Yeah. So I am a strong believer in volunteering. I really appreciate you spending your time with me today. Thank you so much. Okay. Ah, thank you. Bye-bye. I'm so glad you joined me for this episode of A Quilter's Life. You can find more stories on aquilterslife.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you consider leaving a review as it helps others to find the show? Also, I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts. Please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website or a Quilters Life Facebook group to set up an interview. And as always, thanks for listening.